What's going on, everybody? The No Huddle Show. I am Elliot Shore Parks. We are back with another episode. The end of the offseason. The offseason is over, which is crazy to think. And as Doug Peterson said, the end of the offseason means the end of the Super Bowl celebration. The Eagles got their rings this week. Uh, me and Zach talk about the ring ceremony, how much we would sell a ring for if we got it, um, and just kind of what the scene was like there. But then also we get into the actual football because there's been a lot that's changed over the past six weeks. Talk about the guys that helped themselves during the uh, last six weeks and the guys that maybe hurt their chances of making the roster or didn't have things break their way over the last six weeks. Um, So plenty to talk about, but as always, before we get into it, I just want to remind everybody, please go subscribe. We love having people subscribe. You You get it quicker. It goes right into your podcast app whenever we publish it. So we're on all the different podcast app. We're on Spreaker, Google Play, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and of course the Apple Podcast app. And if you're listening to us on YouTube, we really appreciate it. Um, but go ahead and subscribe. Toss us that thumbs up. And we'll, we always read all the comments. So leave a comment and we'll answer it on the next one. We'll probably do a mailbag soon. So if you leave a comment on any of these apps, um, we'll make sure we answer it in the next podcast. So let's get into it. The No Huddle Show, episode 166. Here we go. All right, the No Huddle Show, Elliot here with Zach. And Zach, I don't know about you. I mean, you were at the ring ceremony for the red carpet. Um, I was unable to make it, but I had extreme FOMO this morning waking up, looking at all the players' Instagrams, and just seeing, to be honest, like I knew that the ring ceremony would be cool. Um, And as everybody listening knows, Eagles did receive their rings on Thursday night, kind of the unofficial end of the Super Bowl season in a way. But, man, that thing looked ridiculous. I was surprised at how lavish and how well it seems like they really pulled this off yeah lavish in terms of the ceremony and in terms of the ring but uh yeah jeffrey lurie even jeffrey lurie malcolm jenkins uh talked on the red carpet a little bit and and that malcolm was like jeffrey asked us if we wanted it to be modest or elegant and they all like quickly said no they wouldn't and (laughs) jeffrey lurie in like the most like dad way possible was like yeah, they, they told us they wanted us to be more blingy, as blingy as possible. <laughs> most like Jeffrey Lurie thing you could possibly say. Yeah. Uh, but, but, I mean, yeah, the, you look at the ring, like, the amount of detail they put into it and, like, the, the ability to, like, just fit so many ideas onto, like, a ring is just crazy to me. But, like, that they have, like, the underdog on the inside. They have, the, the amount of rings is, like, the, the number – the numbers combined of the Philly special. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's just really cool. And I, I can't imagine there are many – rings that look every team one ups each other every year but i can't imagine the many rings that look like that and many ceremonies that had meek mill and rick ross giving them a private performance yeah it it did seem like there was a ton of like special personal touches like you mentioned i think the thing with the philly special for the amount of rings is is pretty cool cool. yeah Yeah. that, that was a pretty dope idea having the underdog on the inside is really cool um the other thing that I thought was cool about the ceremony last night was uh, Brian Dawkins. It seemed like he was the one that gave the final speech uh, of the night. Um, he was up there singing, and he, at one point in the speech, and again, shout out to Brandon Graham's Instagram, which is how we were all able to watch this, but um, Brian Dawkins basically said, like, you know, you guys don't understand that, that what you guys accomplished and what this means to everyone who put on that uniform, and it was a pretty cool way to kind of, like, wrap up this whole Super Bowl thing, because at the end of the day, 
yes, I mean, what these players accomplished is awesome. And what they did, they will always remember. Those 53 guys, the coaching staff. But and I, I'm sure you picked up on this too. But just, you know, you can kind of tell, like, this just meant so much more to so many people. Like, even ex-Eagles kind of feel like now they have that ring. I know Ike Reese has said that. Brian Dawkins, he was in the building last year, but he clearly feels that way. And I thought that was a nice way to kind of kind of end the uh, end the ring ceremony. But Hey, uh, even, even Howard Eskin has a ring now. Yeah, even Howard Eskin has a ring, so I'm sure he's happy. Merrill Reese got a ring. Uh, Merrill always used to wear, and I, maybe he still will wear it, but he used to always wear the NFC Championship ring around. So maybe he'll wear that Super Bowl ring next uh, when we get to the offseason. We'll get a yeah. chance to uh, yeah. to try it on and see it. And, and another cool kind of cool – I mean, I, I've never like been to any of these events, so it's possible it's like this anyway. But I found it interesting that like pretty much every single person that was on the roster – I can't – I don't think anybody was missing. Was on the last roster from last year, came back. Even guys mm-hmm. that were released, were traded, you know, were, you almost forced to retire. Like everybody was there, and they were all so happy to be there. And I mean, you could you get to see the love right. everybody had for you. Like it was, it was just really cool for I sure. I saw I saw Ellerby was there, which is pretty random. Um, yeah. Torrey Smith came back. Bo Allen, Vinny Curry. Look, Legarrette Blunt, like in Legarrette Blunt fashion, was like the last one to show up. He had like the best <laughs> outfit. He had all. He had like his Patriots rings on, and somebody asked him, like, "Where are you gonna?" Like the TV guys asked him, "Where are you gonna put this ring on?" So he puts up his middle finger. He's like, "It's gonna go on this one," and like they're all. Oh, some of them are like nice. live. I think <laughs> that was like the most Legarrette Blunt entry ever. I can't decide if wearing an old Super Bowl ring to the ceremony is weird. It's, it's a little weird. Yeah. It's a little weird, right? Like I can't decide if it's Especially the, the Patriots, or not. like the team you just beat. Right. Yeah. And then like, again, like if you have the ring, wear it. And I saw a few people on Twitter saying the, the ring is kind of like outdated and they should go with a watch or something. But I like the ring. I think they should keep with it. But it's weird. Like Tori Smith wearing a Ravens ring, Chris Maragos, even was- Malcolm Jenkins had on his Saints ring from back. Yeah. Then. Yeah. Well, it's funny seeing, seeing the, I saw like a picture of uh, Tory Jenkins's Ravens and Eagles ring. Like the Eagles <laughs> ring is just so much better. It's kind of funny. Yeah, well, like you were saying, every year they won up. I mean, yeah. you know, it's like contracts. Everyone's always the highest paid, highest paid player that off season. So I haven't seen a number go out on what the ring is worth yet. I know. I was I was waiting for that, or or even like how much it weighs or anything like right. that. Well, I but I will say that. Um, so obviously now the Eagles are trying to sell replicas and all that stuff. And there's a version of the ring that's called. Um, it's called like the 127 ring or something like that, which I believe is the numbers of all they add up to. So it was – who did they include on that? I guess they included um, Corey Clement, Trey Burton, and Nick Foles were the three yeah. guys. So I guess those three numbers add up to 127 or something. Well, the, the, well the, the funny thing is somebody tweeted this out. Uh, I guess Trey Burton changed his number last year, so he's he kind of is the reason why they have a lot of rings on right now. Right? Oh, yeah. There you go. Uh, yeah, you're right because he would have been 40-something. Yeah. Yeah. So, but anyway, they're selling a, a replica of the ring. It's called the 127 version, and it's eleven thousand dollars. So, <laughs> if you have eleven thousand dollars, yeah, fair. if you have eleven thousand um, dollars. But I, I was thinking, like, all right, if so, if one of these players, excluding like not Foles, but somebody like Dexter McDougal or someone put their ring up on up for sale on eBay, how much, how much do you think it would go for? Oh man, that's, I'm I'm kind of curious, like what past rings have gone for. Honestly, that's that's so hard to figure out. I, I was talking about that with somebody, like you know, there's gonna be like a guy at the end of the roster, like a McDougal, who like yeah, or Ellerby, yeah, or who's like out of the league within the next year or two, and is like, I could use some money right now. Yeah, I mean, honestly, maybe Carson Wentz might do it with all the pain that I'm sure that <laughs> <laughs> just looking at that, up. like that should be mine. Yeah, exactly. But uh, I mean, you think about how there's only one Eagle Super Bowl ring out there. So it's not like there's multiple versions of this ring. I mean, this is the only Super Bowl ring they've ever won. 
you combine the fact that there's a lot of Eagles fans everywhere. I mean, they're probably top three in the league in terms of fans. They're just all over the country. And you combine the fact they got some rich fans. I I don't know. I mean, four or 500,000. Do you think it could yeah, end up fetching? Because I... you're talking about there's only X amount of these. It's not like, you know, it's not like you can just buy – people can buy as many as they want. Yeah, the, the interesting thing about that, though, is like a player – they put their names on the – on the, I guess that's normal though. Yeah, but you don't. I guess you don't really want to spend four hundred thousand for the, uh, for the Dexter for the Denel, for the one that says Ellerby on the side. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you just get that washed out, I guess. But uh, no, I mean the rings were cool. What, what kind of sucked? Like I was following along on Twitter throughout the night. Um, they didn't release versions of the ring until I don't know, maybe eleven o'clock at night, which kind of sucked for everyone. I know everyone on Twitter was like waiting to see it and saying they wanted it, but it was pretty clear the Eagles just did this for themselves. I mean, yeah. they weren't really, and I don't mean this in a negative way at all, but they had this celebration with only the people in that ceremony in mind. And they deserve that. But, you know, like, they didn't let any media in. They didn't announce the ring until late. They didn't give anybody pictures until late, which did suck for everyone not in that ceremony. But for the people in the ceremony, like I said, when I woke up, when I, well, when I woke up, when I woke up this morning <laughs> um, and went through all the players' Instagrams and saw, I mean, it looked like, it looked like an absolute zoo. It looked ridiculous. I'm sure it was a party. So I mean, I mean, so, some of those videos of uh, when Meek started seeing in a Dreams and Nightmares, and like yeah. you see like all of them like in a in a mosh pit, and I, Jeffrey Lurie was like in the middle of it. I was kind of worried for his safety. Well, it's so funny to watch him like bounce around to it. Yeah. Or, like I saw Carson Wentz. <laughs> he, like, who, does, he's like the only one in there that doesn't know the words. It's yeah, like like Carson Wentz didn't know the words at all, and he's like kind of trying to get hype with everyone, which like props <laughs> to him for trying. But it was just, yeah, yeah. I also think it's just time to retire dreams and nightmares. It's got to go. Uh, it's so like they, yeah. they use it at, like every practice now. Like it's right. so over the top. They, they like, really, I love it's got to be like, like the new Rocky, down. like the new Rocky theme song. Just, just put it on at big moments in the stadium. Well, it's, it's not even just them anymore. Like I saw the Cavaliers playing in their locker room. Like, yeah, that's it, pretty lame. I mean, good for Meek Mill that it's blown up like this, but right. We'll see if he's there <laughs> opening night. Although I kind of doubt it. I mean, I'm sure he'll be there, but I, I doubt he'll perform. But I, I just looked up, uh, by the way, uh, how much some some players sold the Ravens rings like a couple years after, and the most one got was sixty two thousand. Oh and no that, way! Yeah, yeah, no, th- th- this this one would get way more than that. I'm just saying that's I found that interesting. It was like yeah, three so, years later. So maybe not four hundred thousand, but yeah. <laughs> but I mean, I don't know. It only takes one bill, rich billionaire out there that decides he wants the ring. But yeah, for sure, sixty two thousand. That seems. I don't think. I mean. If I had a Super it, Bowl it also ring. was like three or four years after, so like value depreciated and all that. Right. I mean, I would probably sell if I had a Super Bowl ring. I'd probably sell it for sixty two thousand. But I don't know, man. It would suck to have a Super Bowl ring and then not have it. Like that's yeah. like a pretty cool keepsake. Like, yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, I even keep like my press pass from the Super Bowl, so I can only imagine having an actual diamond ring. But uh, <laughs> all right, so a little bit of news did come out of the ring ceremony as well, um, courtesy of Brandon Graham's Instagram. Um, so <laughs> Brandon's Graham, if you will. Yeah, Brandon. Yeah, there we go. Um, good, good dad joke. All right, so, so, so Brandon Graham basically live streamed the entire thing. Um, at one point, he joked he had some tequila in him, which I think was fairly obvious when you see that he basically he did know he was recording, but the way he was holding his phone, like <laughs> I don't think other people knew he was recording. Like he was, was kind of so, like yeah, the Howie Roseman thing. I'm sure you're about to mention that, but I, right. Like... <laughs> so at one point, and honestly, I wasn't going to say anything about this because I. I felt like an invasion of privacy, but (laughs) the video has gone viral. So I think we can talk about it. So how, so he's talking to Jeffrey Lurie and Howie at one point, and I'm almost positive. They did not know they were being recorded. Oh, there's no way. they. Yeah. And they definitely didn't know they were being recorded live, but 
So they're just kind of talking about the Super Bowl, and Graham's joking about how on that last play he almost sacked Brady, and um, there's kind of like saying different things. And at one point, I feel like Carson Wentz walks by, and Jeffrey Lurie says something like, "We're better positioned than." And Wentz isn't in the conversation; he just walked by. And Lurie says something like, "Man, we're better positioned than anyone." And I, I thought I heard her to make a joke about how that guy's going to win more, win more rings than Brady. So, I mean, they were like definitely feeling <laughs> themselves. But the noteworthy thing was in the video, so I'm not 100% sure how it went down, but it seemed like Graham and Roseman were joking about the contract, which I guess is not a sensitive subject between them. Yeah, and right? Roseman that says said, a lot, actually, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it says something that they're able to joke about it. Um, and I guess Roseman said something about 15 million a year. He's like, yeah, I got to give that 15 mil or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not a number. I mean, who knows? Maybe he pulled it out of nowhere. Who knows? We're, we're basically, we're, (laughs) you know, a fly on the wall in a conversation we can barely hear, but, um, I don't know. I just thought that was interesting. I mean, maybe that's what Graham's going for. Um, so yeah, I mean, what, what were your takeaways from that? Yeah. Uh, I mean, the fact that Roseman is kind of joking about it, I, I don't know that, Maybe we're overanalyzing like a small instance of people well, it's who the have season now. So this is what we're yeah, doing. yeah, guys drinking and just having a joke, joking conversation. But I, I feel like it's pretty rare for a GM and a and a player he's negotiating with to be at a party and yeah. like joking about that. So I, I don't know. I, I feel like there's there's something to it. I don't know. Fifteen million sounds like a lot for a guy who's over thirty and yeah. kind of just had his best year, but. I mean, we've talked a lot about what we think about what Brandon Graham's worth and stuff, but maybe this this makes me think a little bit more that they might want to re-sign him now. Yeah, I mean, the, you know what's what's interesting too is and how he said this last night um, to Grand, Brandon Graham on that Instagram. Like, I never think about it, but I guess Brandon Graham was they view that as Howie Roseman's first first round pick, even though sure, I yeah they did always, say that yeah yeah he was I like thank you for, he was as, like thank you he was like thank you for making me your first or something yep yep and then he said that in a press conference before too. Um, uh, not Howie, Brandon, Brandon Graham yeah. did. Um, what's weird is I always think of that as an Andy Reid pick, but like I go back and forth. I do sometimes I think there's no way he's back, yeah, and sometimes I feel like they both just like Brandon Graham just seems to love it so much here. But it's also his last contract, probably. So I I generally go back and forth on whether they will resign him. But I do think last night the fact that I mean obviously Brandon Graham was going to go, but the fact that he's kind of joking with. Howie and Lurie about it. I don't know. I just thought it was a positive sign for where things stand. I don't think you're going to see an ugly holdout between the two. Yeah, I mean, we we both kind of were there when he spoke to the media last week, or was it this week? I forget. Uh, and and he kind of, I mean, he was he the fact that he's at camp, he's recovering from his ankle injury, and mm-hmm. he he just like seemed. I've I've never interviewed him before, but he seemed like just a happy go lucky dude. Oh yeah, for sure. And, I mean, and last like, night he had the tequila in him, so he was super happy. Yeah, like, yeah. He was, he's always kind of like that, though, like joking around with people laughing. Like he is – he's just a genuinely good guy. So that's why I'm not sure what where he'll stand. Hard to get it. a read on him because of that, I feel like. Right. But so the other the other piece of interesting news, Brandon Graham, the gift, the gift that keeps on giving. At <laughs> one point, he's talking to somebody. I couldn't see who it was because he's carrying his phone around like like almost <laughs> in his pocket basically, and he's and he's live streaming. Um, and I hear, and he says to somebody like, oh yeah, Timmy Jernigan, you know, he, he's not going to be, uh, he, he said something like either he's definitely, he's de- he's not gonna be ready for week one. And then he mentions the pup. So, you know, that kind of goes with what we've been hearing. Maybe he read that in a report, but obviously being Jernigan's <laughs> teammate, you would think he would have some type of inside info, but, um, 
So I guess there's that. I guess Jernigan is not going to be ready for week one. It's, just so, it's, it's almost like he's doing that for us. Like he was just out there reporting for us or right. something. Like I don't see why he just brings that up like that. <laughs> Honestly, like it almost rivaled Joel Embiid's Instagram live in terms of just like couldn't turn away. I mean, he's like talking to guys as if like he's not recording. Like he's yeah. like, joking with someone like, man, I, it must have been someone that signed somewhere else. I, I think it might have been Patrick Robinson. He was like, man, you got that money. That's why we did it. Like, go get that money. Like, blah, blah. Like, my turn next or something. And I'm just like, <laughs> like Brandon, <laughs> like, you do realize you're live. Like, he I mean, there was only care. three or four hundred so people watching it, but it was still pretty crazy. Do you, think he, do you think he knew he was live the whole time? Like, I can't figure it out. <laughs> well, I kept thinking he didn't. And then he would look down at the screen and be like, oh, oh really? Yeah. So he definitely knew. <laughs> and again, like I almost feel like an invasion of privacy talking about it, but I mean, I mean, everybody it. saw it, so right. All right, so the other piece of news, and you had told me about this right before we came on. I guess Corey Graham was there, and um, he said to Bo Wolf of the Athletic, or you, you read this, so why don't you? Yeah, yeah. Me? Basically, that he's interested in coming, but he's letting he, he wants to come back, but he's letting his agent handle it. I mean, that that's kind of the, the regular response. We, I, I'm surprised they haven't signed him yet. Maybe they're waiting to open up that roster spot by putting a uh, Warlow on the injured reserve. Right. But I mean, they, they pretty clearly need a backup safety. Marigos hasn't practiced at all. I don't uh, Trey Sullivan's looked pretty good, but they still need another guy. And I don't think any of the undrafted guys have really stood out to me so far. So I think it makes sense to bring him back. And I can't imagine it'll cost very much either. No, I, th- I think he'll be back. But at this point, I think he just didn't probably just didn't want to take part in training camp. I'm sorry, yeah. uh, in the off-season workouts. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. And he'll be yeah, back cause it, for training Because it's mandatory if you're on the roster, not if you're not. Right, exactly. Um, so, yeah, so I, I bet, I bet uh, that he'll be back. And that kind of makes sense because when you look at their secondary uh, – and wh- well, why don't we get into this now? We, um, we were going to do some winners and losers for the uh, off-season OTA slash minicamps. Um, so we can talk about how – I'm sure Corey Graham at some point, how he fits in the roster will come up. But I do think they need him. I do think um, – you know, just what he did last year, his versatility. I, I do think he'll be back. Um, no one's, they haven't given number 24 out to anybody. So that might be the biggest uh, biggest sign that they're kind of planning on him coming back. But uh, all right, so here's what we're going to do. Now that OTAs and mini camps are over, um, now we got six long weeks without football. But the Eagles have been, you know, practicing for two months. And a lot's changed in that two months. Guys have helped themselves. Guys have hurt themselves. So not literally. Well, I guess Warlow did. Well, Warlow, but, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we're gonna just go through some winners and losers, guys that you feel either uh, was a winner these past two months and kind of enter training camp better than they did before OTAs, and guys that might have hurt themselves. So why don't you go first? Um, give us a winner or a loser, and then we can talk about it. All right. I'll. I'll. We can save the obvious one for later. Uh, right. I'll. I'll start by a guy that I, he's he's impressed me quite a bit. Dallas Goddard, uh, the rookie tight end. He, I mean, he, I know we, we all heard like he was very versatile athletic. We saw a little bit of him in the rookie mini camp, but that's only against other rookies, but uh-huh. he, he was kind of making plays whenever he was out there. When we saw him in the seven on seven and 11 on 11s, seemed like he built some chemistry with Nate Sudfeld, which I, I don't know if that necessarily means much, but right. he, he just looks like a guy who he's as advertised. He, there's a reason why he's one of the, considered one of the best tight ends in the draft. And I just, he just looks like he's going to compliment Zach Ertz really well. And I, I think we're going to see a lot of two tight end sets this year. Yeah, so I agree. When 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 training, I keep saying training camp. When OTAs <laughs> and that still first opened, I wasn't initially impressed. Like I was impressed with him, and he has great hands. He he does catch almost everything thrown his way. In fact, I tracked all the balls that were thrown his way. Let me see. I had him targeted seven times and making five catches, which is wow. which is pretty good. Yeah. So um, he's not like as tall, and like, he is as tall, but. 
he just doesn't look like as athletic as Ertz, if that makes sense. But but Ertz is probably the most athletic tight end in the league outside of maybe Travis Kelsey. So, you know, that's not like a slight at Goddard. I just think there is still a difference between him and Ertz. But Goddard, to me, looks more like a guy that'll like plow people over after the catch. I think he has a little bit more, a little more like Brent Selleck in him. More athletic, but a little more of that in him than Ertz does. Um but I agree. I mean, look, him getting reps with Nate Sudfeld isn't, you know, going to help him. Or at least Eagles hope not. But like, I agree. I think he really came on as camp came uh, as um, OTAs went along. I thought he looked more comfortable, and that's why he started making more plays. I mean, you know, you have to remember at the beginning he was a rookie, still kind of, you know, learning his way, learning the playbook. But I agree, especially over these last two weeks, I really think he started to stick out. So I definitely have him as a winner. Um, my loser, I'll go with, kind of keeping with the tight ends, uh, is Billy Brown. Um, last year in training camp, he was so good. People thought the Eagles would keep him around just to keep him. Um, that ended up happening. And then when they cut him, everyone thought he would go through waivers and he wouldn't make it through waivers. And he did. And he was on the Eagles practice squad all year. So when Selleck left and Burton left, he kind of seemed like one of the natural guys to make the roster this year. Knows the offense, athletic and all that. But I, I don't have him having, catching a single pass from Foles, Wentz or Sudfeld during the practices during the mandatory minicamp. So um, he just really didn't stick out. And I think at this point, like, I don't think Richard Rodgers was that good. Um, but he, at this point, I think the top three tight ends are pretty much set. It's going to take an injury. And even then, I'm not so sure that'll do it. I just think this was Billy Brown's shot. And yes, training camp, he could still turn things around. But I really didn't think he kind of took – he didn't make the impact he needed to to, to you know really w- work his way towards a roster spot. Yeah, I agree. I mean, we went into this uh, the off season kind of talking about how we thought he could, you know, overtake Richard Rodgers and take a spot if he if he showed some improvement. And then, you know, coming out of minicamp, but I would even say like that guy Josh Perkins was making more play. Like I noticed yeah, him he had more a nice than touchdown. Like that that was more plays than Brown ever made, and that that's not a good sign because I don't think anybody thinks Perkins is making the roster. So yeah, I, I mean, I think Brown is still eligible for practice squad, isn't he? It's a good question. I know they changed the rules. I mean, he was on uh, there all last year, so I would, I think you're allowed to be on for another year. Yeah. So I mean, th- you would think maybe they put him on the practice squad, but yeah, I don't. At this point, I mean, unless he has an amazing training camp, I don't, I don't see him making the team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I think they're going to keep three, and at this point, maybe Sella come back, comes back, and he's the fourth. But uh, I, yeah, I don't think Billy Brown makes this team. All right. So I just gave a loser. You already gave a winner. Let's hear one of your losers. Loser, I'll say Isaac uh, Samalo. Uh, okay. You know, he had an opportunity. I think. I mean, I think he's been a little banged up. I know you got that info from him, but uh, yeah, pectoral injury. Like he had an opportunity to come into camp and become one of the top backups. You know, he has the ability to play center and guard. And I know the coaches still talk highly of him, but like he he's been limited the entire time. He was only snapping. He, j- he I think he finally played in team drills uh, yesterday. Yeah. But I, I mean, he I I don't I don't know if his roster spot is. He's he's probably going to make the roster just because of that versatility, but. I don't know. I, I just I don't have the confidence that he's. They think he's very good, and I don't know that he's very good. And I, I'm I'm not convinced he's going to make the 53 man necessarily. Well, this is the crazy thing to me about his versatility, right? Like, and I'm I'm not saying you feel this, but like it's so funny how the coach is like, man, he's so versatile. But he, you know, he got benched last year at guard, which is his main position. So. Yeah, I mean, he can technically line up there, but can you trust him to play it? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I guess is, is a versatility if you're not good at the position. You're right, like yeah. that's like saying like I'm a versatile athlete. I can play basketball, football, baseball, but I'm not, you know, <laughs> I'm not going to go pro in any of them. Like I can physically get out there and try. And you know, you could 
say that for a lot of guys in the offensive line, but I agree with you. I think he ultimately does make the roster. Um, him not doing the team drills was weird until we found that he had a pectoral injury, but he he does a few reps this week, and at one point he snaps the ball over Nate Sudfeld's yeah. head, which is tough to do considering Sudfeld's like 6'7 or something like that, 6'6", <laughs> six, six, with long arms. Um, So, yeah, just not a good showing for Sayamalu. Again, I do think he makes the roster um, just because they don't really have a ton of good options. Yeah. Again, like – and it, even though I don't think he's versatile, they don't – I don't think they have anybody – any backup besides Wisniewski's a starter, I don't think they have any backup on the roster currently that can play multiple positions. Because Warback yeah. can only play guard. Taylor Hart can only play tackle. Well, that's why, that's why I think we saw uh, when a bunch of the offensive linemen were gone for the last day of OTAs, you saw Wisniewski move over to center, mm-hmm. and they started uh, Warmack at left guard. I, I mean, Smala was banged up apparently, but right. I thought that was interesting that Warmack was the guy they went to. And I guess the rookie they drafted in the sixth round, uh, Matt Pryor, um, I think he can he can do tackle and guard, but again, like he's not I, ready to play though. Yeah, yeah and I, I don't know if he can do them both or if they're just kind of trying them out. But so yeah, I mean, the, and for a team that you know only is going to draft eight offensive linemen on game day, one of them is going to be Vitae. Uh, I would assume the other is Warmack, I guess. But yeah, you're going to need a guy that at least can go out there and physically, I guess, kind of do it. So yeah, I agree. Sam <laughs> Sam Malu is a loser in this case. Although I feel bad calling him a loser because like, <laughs> yeah, right. It's a mean word. Yeah, it's a mean word, but he's a nice guy. All he's right, a so, not. He's a not winner. Yeah, he's a not winner exactly. All right, so <laughs> my one of my winners though is Marcus Wheaton. Um, coming in, I I thought he had a decent chance to make the roster, but he not only played really well, he like played better than receivers that played better than I expected. Like Bryce Treggs was very good. Shelton Gibson was very good. Greg Ward was very good. And so these are guys he's competing with for the potential fifth and sixth roster spots at receiver, potentially only five. Um, so maybe only one roster spot, but I thought he played really, really well. Uh, he consistently got behind defenses, made, made a ton of catches. I have, uh, let me see. I have these, the catches here. I have him with, where is he? We, I have him with six catches in three practices. And so that would be second on the team. Uh, behind only Aguilar and actually Gibson at seven. So Gibson was also very good, but I think what Wheaton brings that Gibson, Treggs, and Bryce doesn't, um, Bryce Treggs and uh, Greg Ward doesn't, he's got experience in the NFL. And that does matter, especially when you look at the Eagles' top receivers. Like Alshon's going to be a little banged up at the start of the season. I think he plays, and he's shown he can play through injury, but he's still going to be a little banged up. Um, and then Matt Collins doesn't have a ton of experience. So you're really just with uh, Mike Wallace and Aguilar. So I think that should something happen to one of the top three guys, you want someone that's played in games. It isn't going to be, you know, blown away or intimidated by the spot. Um, I mean, Wheaton played in a lot of, you know, uh, Steelers-Ravens games, which are always big games. So I think that helps him. And then you combine the fact that he played really well. I think at this point he would be my number five receiver. And at the Absolute worst number six if they wanted to keep Gibson, but I think he stands a very good shot of making this roster. Yeah, uh, you know it, it, the signing kind of came out of nowhere. I don't think we saw them signing a receiver, mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, I think the biggest thing with him is if he has the speed and he's healthy like he was a couple years ago when he had like 700 receiving yards. Right. Whereas the last like two years he's been banged up, and last year he played in like 11 games and barely did anything for the Bears, I believe. Yep, and. Uh, yeah, I mean he, he he's kind of the kind of, the Eagles kind of signing last year. He kind of feels like a Patrick Robinson almost type, where he kind of faded away. People forgot about him, 
Uh, they signed him for cheap, and I, I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised if he made his way into the, onto the roster and eventually started playing a role. Yeah, uh, and he's still young too, which is crazy. Yeah, like maybe twenty six or something like that. I mean, he's only been in the league three years, three maybe four. I think it's three years. So, all right. So I just gave a winner. I feel like we messed the order up. So go ahead and you can do a winner or a loser because I forget where we were at with it. <laughs> all right, I, I'll do a winner. Uh, I'll do since you, you mentioned a bunch of the receivers were were pretty much winners. I don't know if any receiver had a bad camp necessarily, mm-hmm. but uh, I'd say Nate Sudfeld was a winner. He, okay. Uh, he started off the camp kind of, you know, he was inconsistent. He was missing some guys. He was throwing it up. He was throwing some picks uh, during OTAs. And then as it started getting towards the end of OTAs and into minicamp, he kind of became like the most accurate passer. He, he's he been making some really good throws. I know it's not necessarily against the first defense all the time. It is right. sometimes. But I, I just think he's just really impressed me. He's poised in the pocket. He's a little more athletic than I realized. Mm-hmm. And uh, if he, that's kind of what they, we talked about a couple like a week or two ago if they're keeping a third quarterback he needs to like be a del- developmental guy who has the potential to become a player sometime and i think Sudfeld started showing why the eagles have been so hyped on him yeah i agree so during the mini camp uh i had him down and this is in 7 on 7 and 11 on 11 drills i had him 22 of 30 for six touchdowns and no interceptions so he had more touchdowns than Wentz and Foles combined. I mean, he did throw. He didn't throw the ball more than Foles, but he did take obviously way more reps than uh, than Wentz did. But um, no, I agree. I think in mini camps, uh, he was not good initially. He had a few really poor decisions, a few turnovers, but he really heated up towards the end. Um, I mean, second day in mini camp, he was seven for ten. First day, thirteen to sixteen. He was especially effective in the red zone. Um, and I think I don't remember if it was D. Filippo or Press Taylor, but the, the the thing that his coaches say is, and there's a lot of truth to it, um, he kind of is a combination of Foles and Wentz. I mean, that is just what he he looks like that. He moves like that. Um, so they kind of have not the best of both worlds because he's not at this point better than either of those guys. But look, next year or two, after this upcoming season, Foles might be gone. So you just never know. So I do think that Sudfeld's a guy that they would want to keep around. He's very close with Wentz and. Peterson has said time and time again that this is a big offseason for him. And although he didn't start off great, and we don't get to watch all the practices, but at least the practices we saw, he didn't start off great. He really ended on a strong note. I was I was very impressed with him for sure. Um, okay, so now it's my turn. Should I do a loser? I feel like we should do a loser. We just did two winners in a row. Yeah. Can't can't be too positive here. All right, so <laughs> all right, so my loser is Josh Adams, running back rookie out of Notre Dame. To me, like when they drafted him, I said I thought he was going to make the team. And I'm sorry, when they signed him as an undrafted guy, I said I thought he was going to make the team. And he still might. I mean, there's still time to go. But, man, I think just as a rookie, it really hurts you to miss all of the offseason workouts. And I, he's on the field and he's learning, but it's just not the same. Um, so he misses all the, all the offseason workouts, doesn't practice at all. He says he's going to be ready for training camp. I mean, there's no reason to not believe him. But at the same time, he hasn't practiced at all and it's a foot injury. So to me, like, and I know when he gets cut, people will retweet my thing saying he'll make the team. But <laughs> since I'm team no delete, I will not delete it. But I think he seems prime stash on IR for a year guy. I think uh, the foot injury might not be that bad, but just I just think he's so far behind at this point, and the running backs have played well. I just think he's in a real tough spot. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I mean we, we both kind of talked about it like we thought he could steal that, that fourth or fifth running back job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, he, he clearly looks the part. He's a, he's a really tall, kind of big, muscular dude. 
But and I mean, the, the reality is that running back, if he just comes out and he looks really good in training camp, he could still steal a job. But the fact that he hasn't practiced at all, he hasn't had any experience actually like running the plays, uh, right. it doesn't bode well for him. At the very least, uh, practice squad, and I could see the IR thing, like you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so we'll see. I mean, I you know, I don't, not to get into another winner, but I thought Donald Pumphrey and Wendell Smallwood both had really good camps. Or, uh, God, a really good off season workout. So. Uh, I think Josh Adams definitely hurt himself. All right, so go ahead. Let's hear one of your losers. Loser? Uh, I'll stay at quarterback. I'll say Nick Foles. Uh, it's hard to be a loser when you're the Super Bowl MVP who just right. got uh, his Super Bowl ring. And I, I don't know if this, this – for Nick Foles, this doesn't necessarily matter that much. But he he was pretty inconsistent. He was looking a little rusty. Mm-hmm. He was missing a lot of guys. He threw – I mean, you have the stats. He probably threw the most interceptions out of the three quarterbacks. Yeah, so and, I have uh, – I'll say the stats real quick. During yeah. minicamp, I had him 28 of 41, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Yeah, I mean, that, that's not great. That kind, kind of is like how he was playing uh, those first couple weeks before he yep. became Super Bowl MVP Nick Foles. But, I mean, I don't, I don't know how he's looked in, in your eyes watching him practice over the years. But, like, I know even way back at Arizona, he was never a good practice player, actually. That's why he, like, lost out a starting quarterback job uh, going into his junior year. He eventually stole it because he went into a game and he started killing it. So right. he, he, I think he's just a gamer more than anything. And I don't know if this necessarily matters outside of him like building chemistry with some of the new guys. But, I mean, the fact that Carson Wentz is probably going to play week one makes it even less important. Well, I think that's why Foles goes under my loser category. Because any – I'm not saying he has zero shot, but any hope he had of playing in that first game, I think, had to be completely – like he's got to wake up now knowing Wentz is probably going to play. So you're you're saying basically he's a loser because of Wentz being healthy more than how he performed kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I just think – like, you know, he's going to make $20 million sitting on the bench this year, so it's hard to call him a loser. But, um, no, I, I just think if he thought he was going to play this year, he's not playing unless, unless Wentz gets hurt again. I see zero chance Wentz doesn't play in that week one. Um, so I guess that would be a good segue into a winner for Wentz. Um, let's talk about Wentz and what we saw over the last few days. Uh, I think we'll both agree that he's an extreme winner in this case in terms of the last <laughs> six weeks. I mean, seriously, like when you think about how he looks compared to what we thought, like – if let's say we were recording this podcast and he didn't take a single team rep throughout OTAs, I still wouldn't be throwing up a red flag just because in the past, that's what I've seen. Bradford didn't do any. Um, I think, you know, in general, I mean, it was it was less than six months ago that he suffered the injury. Right, exactly. So the fact that he if he wouldn't have been doing him, it wouldn't have been a red flag. So the fact that he was, I just think, is such a positive development. Um, and I have a few main takeaways from what I saw from him. But before I get into him. One of my biggest signs that I think he's going to play is he pat, he talked earlier this week and he said, you know, my goal continues to be in playing week to play in week one, and not to sound like too like old sports journalist like cliche type thing, but I mean this is just a dude that I don't think fails at goals. Like I think he makes a goal and he accomplishes that goal, and I will I don't think he would be using the word goal or setting that kind of clear line as to where failure and success is if he wasn't very confident he was going to be there. So I think there's, again, like I said earlier, zero chance he doesn't play in week one. Yeah, to me, this kind of feels like uh, kind of how the, it became with the Sixers and Joel Embiid a little bit because after a while, you know, everybody kind of questioned whether he would play, whether he would do back-to-backs, and it kind of became Joel Embiid's decision. Mm-hmm. And it, this kind of feels like I think the Eagles would be taking it easier with him if they had the choice, but – I know he's probably cleared to do the stuff he's doing and all that, but I, I think you, you want to always be better to safe than sorry for your franchise. 
But he, the fact that he's out there, he's doing seven on sevens now. He's he's working on the side with even Alshon Jeffrey, and he, I, I just think a lot of it has to do with him wanting to get back out there and reestablish this as his team. I, you pointed out, I think, yesterday that you saw him even like running the huddle, which yeah. is kind of a small detail, but I think it's relevant because I mean, it, in theory, if he was you know still limping around and not doing anything, he wouldn't be in the huddle. So I even just like that stuff. I think the fact that he's out there, the fact that he that he wants to be out there, that he's like pretty passionate about get, being the quarterback in week one. I think that all matters. And then just on top of that, I'm sure you're about to talk about this too. He, he's looked pretty good. I mean, especially yeah. by the end, he looked as good as he had all all uh, off season when we've seen him. And he just like the way he's progressed in just the month that we've been watching him in practice, I, it's, it's remarkable. I mean, th- these injuries used to take te- like nine to 12 months to recover. And, mm-hmm. and he's already participating in seven on seven drills six months later. Like it's yeah. unreal. Right, and the thing that you mentioned with the huddle yesterday, like, it wasn't just that he led it. Like, he was, like, kind of far away, and he, like, made a concerted (laughs) effort to get into the middle of that huddle and make sure he was a guy that broke him down. And I think that, I mean, he was doing that last year, and I think Wentz is a natural leader, but I I think there's just a little part of him that's, like, needing to reestablish that he's that guy, and I think he's aware of that. And so, like, I think it's important to him that he does things like get in that huddle and break him down, like... You know, you can see him just the way he interacts with Doug and the quarterbacks. Like, he still wants to be that alpha male. And I think, yeah, it's just important to him. But in terms of the way he actually played, like, the only way you could tell he was hurt is because of the knee brace that he wears. He moves very well. And one of the things that he's really improved on over the last two months, because I think two months ago is when we saw him start, maybe maybe six weeks ago. But regardless, when we first saw him throw to now um, – he is really planting on his injured leg a lot more than he used to. And there's still a ton of velocity, ton of speed on that ball. And that's kind of one of the main things with quarterbacks that injure their ACL is you see that they're kind of afraid to really step into a throw and make a throw. And I don't think Wentz is going to have that fear. At least he's not showing it now. So I think it's a sign that A, he's extremely confident with how his knee feels, but B, his mechanics haven't suffered. So um, I, you know, really – not a lot, many more positive things you could say. I think at this point, you've you've seen everything you would want to see at this point and more. You would agree, right? I mean, I think there's even a chance he he does eleven on eleven at the start of training camp. Yeah, that that's one thing I'm I'm curious about. I'm curious because training camp, you know, we've talked about how good he looked. We haven't seen them in like pads, and you know, they've right. been in shorts, and this is pretty low key, but it's still just a big deal because of what he's able to do. But one, and they might not even let him get hit in training camp, actually. For all we know, but uh, well, they're definitely not going to let him get hit in training camp. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm just curious to see how he, how he starts doing when it gets the full pads, and and then we'll see how he looks then. But I'm, I'm, pr- like we started the camp, you know, maybe he plays week one, maybe they just take it easy to now where I'm like, I'd be shocked if he's not starting week one. Yeah, and again, like we're not doctors, so I can't speak yeah. to like what the difference is between him playing in week one versus week three. Like I, you know, I, I don't, I don't know, but. I was talking to someone yesterday and they were saying like, well, you know, week three is the Colts. So maybe you play him against the Colts because they're not as good. But like at the end of the day, the guys on the Colts, like he, he's still going to get hit by 300 pound guys. And there's yeah. still the chance that Lane Johnson rolls into his leg or something like this. This moment's going to happen and there's going to be a moment where he goes down and everyone looks and he has to it's, get it's, up. It's going to be the, the not to keep bringing it back to the Sixers, but it's going to be the Joel Embiid thing. The dude right. falls every 10 seconds. and Everybody freaks out. And Joel falls like he needs to learn. Yeah. Like, Joel is not good at falling to the ground. I almost feel so. like he does it on purpose to, to like freak everybody out or right. something because it's ridiculous. And so there's going to be that moment where Wentz gets hurt, what not gets hurt, but goes down. 
from a slow hit. to get up. And he gets up and he has to like, you know, say tell everyone he's fine and everyone will, you know, and you know, you move on. But I do think this is just reality the situation is you're always going to think about the torn ACL even in his third year. I guess with Brady you don't think about it anymore. But um yeah, no, Bra- I think Brady also reality. doesn't like leave the pocket either, so it's a little different, but True. True. That's true. I mean, although I think Wentz doesn't get hurt as I mean, Wentz doesn't get hit as much as people think. Yeah. I, I don't I remember, agree. I can't remember if we I, talked about this on the last podcast, but I went back and I looked at every run he had last year, and I only had like four or five plays, including the one where he got hurt, where I thought that was a little reckless with his body. And honestly, even the one where he got hurt, like I don't know what you want him to do in that situation. So I'm not in camp like Wentz needs to change the way he plays. I just don't believe that. I think he maybe a little at, at, at times, you know, but I don't think this is a drastic overhaul. I think he he should play like he did last year. And if you get hurt, you get hurt. Anybody can get hurt on any given play. Yeah, I I, I just meant in, more in terms of like the perception of people freaking mm-hmm. out. Every like I think they're going to freak out any times he anytime he takes off now. For sure, I agree. All right, so OTAs are in the book. Mini camps are in the book. We now have six weeks before training camp. As of now, I'm excited, but I think like in four days I'll be missing live tweeting and watching practice. <laughs> so we'll that, de- but we're not going to take six weeks off. We'll have podcasts for you every week. We'll still, you know, find things to talk about with the Eagles. Things are always interesting. Hopefully, you know, we're not talking about somebody in legal trouble or something or anything like that. <laughs> There's always something like that. Exactly. All right, so we will have a podcast for you next week. As always, please go leave those reviews. Or uh, subscribe on um, iTunes. We're on Spreaker. We appreciate everyone that listens listens on YouTube. So thanks, everyone, for checking this out. And Zach, I'll talk to you next week. All right. Sounds good.